We are live, Leo. Whoa, that was that. fast. <laughs> that was so fast, Julian. It's just been a crazy day, a crazy week. What in the world's going on, Ty? How you doing? I'm doing well. I feel like life's back to normal. I mean, yeah, you got the house locked down. We got the rental property going in Orm. Everything's going good. We're working on so many. It feels like so many things are converging together at the same time. And it's just, you know, for me, I got my oldest son. He's going on a service mission to Brazil in two weeks. So we're trying to get that ready. I got my other kids doing football and soccer and uh, my daughter started her dance business in our basement, and you know we got to get the youngest going in soccer, and he doesn't know what's going on. I feel like we're not giving him enough attention, and then we got our business, and we got to get more leads and help more small business owners and more coaches, and then we got my figures, and we're raising capital for that, and we got to work with developers, and these venture capitalists are a pain in the ass, and. Oh, don't don't forget, Leo. We're we're taking our employees to Disneyland. Oh, in two and a half weeks, Jillian, so. are you excited? I'm ex- I'm actually Woo! super excited too. Be fun. Get some warm weather. We just can't get warm weather in Utah right now. Like, no, it's just not. Maybe in St. George. Yeah, I mean, I I play in a men's league for golf, and two days ago I showed up to work in a polo and shorts because it was beautiful and yeah. it was warm. And guess what? By 4 p.m., it was like 35 degrees with 50 mile an hour gusts, and it was just wind insane. chill. It's Utah wind chill it's been a cold cold april and it's been a long long winter and spring's just not quite here but hopefully it's uh it's on the way so wait you guys, we've got a super exciting episode for you guys today and um you know ty how's the sleep going with uh with the two young boys <laughs> sleep's going all right they're yeah we're figuring it out jack's great he goes right to bed no problem and uh you know tommy has his nights but yeah marie's really good about handling that Oh, wow. God bless Marie. Huh? Oh, amen. Okay. Well, guys, we've got a, a good episode for, for you today. Kind of a combination where we're going to be talking about if you're a business owner, if you're in the funding space, like how are these bank crises affecting you and how do you actually prepare and get ready for the next one? That's kind of going to be one of the themes we're going to talk about. We are going to come back to our money topic, though. Tell us about some of our money topics today, Ty. Yeah, one of our money topics, and this is something that we've experienced, Leo, but 100%. Silicon Valley Bank, they're, they're collapsed is really scaring startup funding, right? VC is is really, really slowing down. They're getting a lot pickier. So we're going to kind of talk about what, I mean, New York Times actually put put out an article on that that literally says Silicon Valley Bank collapse, chills startup funding. So we're going to break that down. No question. I mean, you already had text that things were slowing down and venture capital was was uh, you know slowing down quite a bit in 2022, and then you add the bank crisis and some other uncertainties, and that's just further exacerbated the entire situation. And then, like I said, we're going to talk about how small businesses can find safety before the next banking crisis. And if you're in the business funding space and you're building something like that, you know how do you adjust and stay recession proof in spite of that? Absolutely. And then, uh, kind of like we we mentioned last podcast, we're getting back to our normal flow here once a week. We will talk about you know, current events. We'll talk about sports. Um, like we started this podcast doing and our sports topic, we're going to discuss the, uh, the injury data that just came out based on turf compared to grass. Oh, wow. That's good. NFLPA from what I've heard has been on that like crazy. And I got to say, I agree. So we're going to talk about turf versus grass. Yeah, no question about it. I mean, it's a big deal and it's a big deal too. When you think about your kids going out there more and more, of these fields are getting put together with turf. And so when we go to soccer tournaments, my son's playing on turf a lot of the time, and there are injuries that are happening at a larger frequency, it sure seems. We're also going to talk about, uh, you know, all these expansion teams popping up and, or just moving. So, you know, you, you, had, uh, you had the Oakland Raiders who then moved to Las Vegas. Now they're the Las Vegas Raiders. Well, now you got the baseball team, the Oakland Athletics, the Oakland A's. It looks like they're going to be moving to Vegas. And then is that going to lead to Salt Lake City getting a Major League Baseball team? Yeah, we're, we're excited about that. So we're, yeah, we're going to break exciting. that down. And then uh, tap into our mindset piece. We're going to talk about the benefits of resisting instant gratification. We've touched on that just a little bit previously, but... I'm really excited about that one. It's a principal success, no question, for if you want to get your money right, if you want to succeed in business, and even more importantly, if you want to teach your kids 
real principles and values that are going to make a difference at the end of the day. That is a principle that makes a tremendous difference. And then our final topic here, we're going to dive into uh, politics. And our man, Elon Musk, he's just been busy out there. He's just been you know, building Twitter up and trying to make it the, the public square that it should be where discourse can happen and there can be debate, but it can be done respectfully and nobody needs to be unnecessarily censored. And uh, while he's been busy doing that, his SpaceX company has also been busy. And so SpaceX's uh, Starship actually exploded shortly after launching uncrewed test flight, which is super unfortunate. And that has happened over the last decade. But, you know, at some point, you know, when you're Elon Musk, you're stretched too thin when you're, you know, you got 10 kids, you got Twitter, you got Tesla, and you've got SpaceX. So at some point, um, you know, something may give. We're going to look into that, and I'm sure he's going to figure it out and get it fixed. But that's that's super unfortunate. Thank goodness nobody was on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you saw the video that happened just this morning. And, you wow. know, obviously they were hoping for better results. But if, if they can get this thing figured out, it's going that to was, do. That was the big, huge one, wasn't it? Like yeah. the big, huge rocket, like the biggest rocket ever? From what I understand, Damn, yes. and that, and, Oh, that's got to be hundreds of millions down the drain. That sucks. But what's crazy is it's still a fraction of the cost of what? What NASA would? Oh yeah, if NASA's run, it'd be like you know six billion dollars down the drain. And sorry, but he'll probably find a way to still be able to use some of those parts and relaunch it and get it figured out. And that that's what happens. Like that is what happens when you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, things are not going to go perfect. I've been working on this stupid B two B funding partner funnel here for like three, over three months now. In in 2023, it hasn't gone according to plan, but I think. We've got it figured out. So you just keep on pivoting and pivoting till you make it, till you pro- till you find the right formula, and you don't give up as long as you know that you've got something worthwhile that delivers value. You just need to figure out the little tweaks to it, and that's what I'm sure he's going to figure out. So if you're in that uh, you know building phase, stick to it as long as you've got a proof of concept with your product or service. And if something's just not quite working, then there's just a few little tweaks that you're going to be able to make to get it working very soon. Welcome to the Go Figure Podcast, created for parents and business owners who want to get their money right. My name's Leo Cannell. As a husband and father of five, I've been fortunate to create two eight-figure businesses in the fintech space. This podcast will share the values, principles, strategies, tools, and tactics that have helped us to build a fintech empire and provide an epic life for our family. Having been a parent and entrepreneur for 20 years, there's a lot I don't know. There's been a lot of failure. The good news is together, we'll find solutions to creating an epic life powered by a business that we love. Absolutely. Well, let's uh, let's dive into this, Leo. Let's get going on the uh, the money topic. I know that was one of our big ones here. And just because it's it's pretty fresh on our minds. We just had some really good meetings with VCs this week, and we had some doozies with VCs this week. So let's talk about uh, Silicon Valley Bank and how that collapse has, has impacted startup funding. And guys, we're going to give you a kind of an encyclopedia of experiences and what's going on with venture capital in 2023. And for sure, years ago, it was easier. But let's dive into this article. So this is a New York Times article, New York Times used to be the master of the universe when it came to news reporting and being objective and pushing people to the edge. Things have changed a little bit over the years, but it seems like there's been a, a return to that. And so we certainly hope that that's where they're going. And and here's an article that says, Silicon Valley banks collapse, chills startup funding. Two weeks after the bank failed, the fallout has hit the startup market as investors pull back further and fear has risen more. Jonathan Nilsson had lined up commitments for oh wow here we go Jonathan Jonathan Nilsson had lined up commitments for two million dollars in new funding for his financial technology startup oh my goodness this sounds familiar HR Capital from two investors last month he was aiming for two and a half million dollars and he thought securing the rest would be perfunctory like no brainer easy right then sixty seven investors holy cow sixty seven investors turned him down in mid March. His initial investors backed out too. Mr. Nelson was initially confused by the cold shoulder, but two days later when Silicon Valley Bank, the most uh, prominent bank for startups and venture capital firms, collapsed after tech investors and startups set off a bank run, it all made sense. I was scratching my head saying, why did they just ghost me? And then the bank run happened. I was like, ah, they're terrified. 
And the same realization is ripping through the startup world in the wake of SBV's sudden failure after a harrowing 2022 when the easy money for startups dried up, leading to slash valuation lower. And so that's what happened. Like in, in 2019, 2020, and 2021, there, were, there was a lot of money that poured into these new startup companies or startup companies that had been going for a few years. And it was kind of like they were all in it together and they were very optimistic, but they missed some of the realities. You know, you and I have talked about this for years. How is it that some of these startup, you know, venture backed companies can literally bleed money year after year after year after year and then they still get another ten million, they still get another twenty million, they give it another fifty million, and they're they're growing, they got a lot of employees, but they're just that literally, like they 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 earn maybe a dollar of, of income, and they might lose three dollars at the end of the year. So if their revenues are a million dollars, they might lose. Honestly, it's probably more like five million dollars. Let's call it three million. So literally, I make a million, I lose three. Uh, I make uh, five million, I lose fifteen. If you're a company like Lyft and some of these others, oh, you know, I lost. 500 million later, all these companies losing so much money. So at some point that had to come to roost. And what happened was these high interest rates came in. And now if you're an investor, all of a sudden it's much more complicated. It's much more expensive to fund your business. And so if you're putting your money in there, you're not quite as excited because at the end of the day, it's how much can I make on my money? And so if you're an investor, you could put it in tech companies and, and hope that you're going to make it back. Sometimes it disappears. A lot of the times it does. Or you can put it now, you can put it in bonds and make 5 or 6%. And so that's been the issue for investors. And then you have high interest rates that have complicated everything from there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of these things where it was about time that these these VCs, these investors got a little bit smarter. And I, I think part of the problem was that so much new tech came out all at once and they were all getting pitched on the exact same different VCs were getting pitched on these same ideas, but because it was such new tech, it was their first time seeing it and they're thinking, wow, this is awesome. And all of a sudden there's a million companies all doing the exact same thing and they've lost their competitive advantage and they're all starting to fail. And so that's where VCs, especially in the fintech space, they're really, really tightening up. And, you know, some of the questions that they had asked me, I was, I was like, kind of shocked and floored by by how they were coming just out of out of left field there but I mean it's it's one of these things where I I, I hate to say it but I, I get it right I, I understand I'd love for them to to be throwing money at us like crazy yeah. because that would be awesome but I understand why they're finally starting to tighten up because so many of these businesses are just failing and losing money it doesn't no it, it just doesn't add up it, and, and so then the other thing that starts to happen is a lot of these tech companies are going to go out of business, and the only way they're going to raise more capital is in what they call a down round. And a down round means you go to the venture capital firm, you're like, yeah, I th we think we're worth this. And they look at their books and say, yeah, you lost a ton of money last year. You're growing a little bit. Actually, instead of saying you're worth you know, $50 million on paper, we're going to say you're worth $25 million on paper. And so if you need another $5 million, now we're going to take up half of your company instead of 25% of your company. And those are things that are real and that are happening. And then the other thing that happens is the employees have their ownership shares and they think their ownership shares are worth a little bit. And so if you're a good owner, you're actually going to look at it and say, we effed up, we didn't do the job. And you're going to have to give up more of your ownership as an owner to keep morale up with your employees. And that's what's happening with a lot of these down rounds. So here's what's interesting. Like years ago, we, we have a good friend, right? And he was able to raise money. What was it? Three years ago, I think. Yeah. And uh, he raised a uh, million dollars and he really raised it off of an idea. He didn't have any sales. It was pre-revenue. And that's how easy it was to raise money a few years ago. And then you fast forward to today. And if you don't already have a built company, it's very difficult. So for us, we've been serial entrepreneurs. We have a, a company that's now done over eight figures in revenues and, and millions of dollars a year and, and 25, 30 full-time employees. And so for us, it seemed like, well, geez, we, we've got things figured out. We've got this software we want to, you know, add to the, the marketplace that's going to solve a lot of problems for a lot of business owners. It should be easy for us to raise, you know, a couple million dollars. And even where we're at, it's been complicated. And here's what's interesting. If you're out there and you've been thinking or maybe you're trying to raise venture capital or you've been, um, you know, looking at doing, you're wondering, you're curious, what does this look like? Here's what our experience has been. 
So we went to this fintech meetup uh, in Vegas, went with one of our other uh, partners, uh, Bo, there. It was uh, interesting. We met with all these different groups there, and uh, we learned a lot, you know, pitched to some of the venture capitals. And, you know, in that event, in that space, you literally have a 1,000 people in a room, and it's kind of like, well, we'll talk seriously afterwards. So now afterwards, we've been connecting more seriously with venture capital firms, and you'll meet with one firm, and the dude will take you in one direction to say, you should do this. And I'm not going to invest because I don't like, it's not a perfect fit for us, but I think you should, you need to do this. You're doing this all wrong. And so we listen, we're like, oh, okay, cool. We need to go this direction. And then we meet with the next guy and he's like, no, actually you're, you know, we like what you're doing. You're doing this. It's not a good fit for us, but you know, it looks like you're going the right. And then another guy will have a completely different take. And so you get all these, you're just pulled in all these different directions and you're just not sure. Well, how do we navigate that? Yeah. I mean, it, I've just started to jump on these meetings with you and these pitches with you, and it's it's blown my mind. Literally, we'll do two in the same day, and this guy's saying, "Oh, I I can't invest in this because you're commingled with another business." And then the next guy's like, "I love that you have this other business here that's kind of <laughs> flowing in." And so my my big takeaway is is look, you need to figure out your direction, where you're going, who you are as a business, and you know your business better than anyone else, and and stick to your guns. Not every single VC that you pitch is going to like it. Some of them will. I mean, obviously, if you're getting told the same thing over and over, probably time to pivot. But for me, Leo, it was it was good to see that we are right on track with some. We're not on track with others. That's okay. Um, if they're denying us or rejecting us for that, we probably don't want to work with them anyways. And you kind of need to have that mindset when you're trying to raise capital because you're going to get rejected a lot. Yeah, I completely agree. And for us, it's a little different. Like, we aren't just theoretical, we think this is a good idea. I mean, we've served thousands of small business owners and we've heard what their struggles are. We know what their struggles are. We've worked with their coaches and their consultants and their accountants and heard from them, gotten their feedback. And so at some point, like we we have done the due diligence and we're going to do more to figure out what the market wants. And so I think you're right. I think we stick with our non-negotiables. You know, we're able to accommodate and be flexible on a few items, but overall, like the vision needs to stay the same and, and we need to push forward, learn where we can. And then I think at the end of the day, you, that's where you've got to be an entrepreneur. You've got to be scrapping. You've got to be, hey, if I need to raise capital, sell a property here, put a little bit of money in there, uh, maybe it's not built out as far as I want, but I can add another feature or two and I can go out and get, you know, uh, we, we just, uh, we haven't even marketed my figures. And I think we're at 106 uh, paying subscribers here and 300 like free ones. But hey, let's, what if we get a thousand? What if we get five, 10,000 on our own? Then they'll be, cu- they'll come at our door begging to give us money. And then we can be really selective at that point. So I'm really kind of leaning towards that. We'll keep on knocking on doors. But if you're in the venture capital and you're trying to raise money, I think those are things you should, you should consider and try to figure out and get a minimum viable product that's that's pretty good, that solves some problems. And then you can kind of do it on your own terms. And and that's and, and so I guess I, here's for sure what's true is right now is probably the most difficult time to raise capital that there's been probably in the last decade. Yeah, uh, I mean, absolutely. And, and the biggest thing from hearing feedback from all these VCs, Leo, is you need to clearly define your competitive advantage. Yeah, that's true. Period. Like that, that's what it always yeah. comes back to because chances are what you're creating already exists in some way, shape, or form. It's, it's how do you do it better and how can you present that to a VC? It's, it's like the McDonald's thing, right? There's hundreds of thousands of places selling hamburgers. Why is McDonald's so much more successful? You need to be able to define that for your product. And that's where it's good to be like, hey, we're going to stick to our guns. But then when you also hear, we've heard multiple of them, hey, you're not really as clear in the solution you're providing. And so that's been good for us. And that's been good for us to step back. And you're right. We're not articulating our message and our solution good enough. And th- and thanks for pointing that out. Now we're going to have a much better, you know, concise message and, and, and the competitive advantage, the value, the solutions, benefits we're delivering to our partners and to our end user customer of, of our, our FinTech app. And so that's been really good. And so I think that's a good thing to look at wherever you're at with your business, right? Um, if you have some haters, you have some people talking crap, some people, uh, an angry client, it's good to listen. And where are they right? You know, step back. Hey, you know what? They are right about this. We do need to do a better job. And then at the same time, 
if you have others that are always, they all have these all wild different things that, that, that don't sort of correlate and come into something that you should change, then you shouldn't look to change those. And, and so it's kind of, kind of give or take there. But if you're seeing a common issue come up, that's obviously something you need to step back, be honest and, and fix and, and vice versa. If it's not that, and someone's just out and left field here, you can kind of take it with a grain of salt and then move forward. So very interesting. That's what's going on with venture capital. And now the next question is, well, how can small businesses find safety before the next bank crisis? And this is, uh, this is also another New York Times uh, article here. And so it says, uh, financial advisors recommend that business owners examine their accounts now to ensure that they are protected in case of a future bank uh, failure. And I believe Warren Buffett uh, said last week, uh, good old Uncle Warren, said that uh, it's very unlikely if you have money in a bank and it's more than the $250,000 that's insured from FICA, that you have, that the, or the FDIC, not FICA, FDIC, that you have anything to worry about. The government's going to back that up. So that's that's what he thinks. But here's what this article says. It says, the collapse of two regional lenders, Silicon Valley Bank, SVB, and Signature Bank, last month caused a ripple of panic among small businesses across the country as owners watched the news unfold and wondered whether their assets were safe, even if their deposits were not in one of the failed institutions. Now that the panic has begun to subside, advisors are recommending that small businesses examine their accounts to determine the level of risk. Basically, you have your money sometimes in these smaller regional banks, um, you know, credit unions, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, uh, it's insured up to $250,000. But if you have more than that, and you're a company out there, and you've got a bunch of employees, or you just got maybe a big ERC uh, check refund that you got deposited and, and so forth. And you're thinking, oh, where, where should, uh, do I need to worry about my money? And so the funny thing that, that's happened, Ty, is and this has been unfortunate. A lot of these regional banks, business owners have been proactive. They have been scared and they're like, maybe I better take my uh, you know, larger amounts of money for my business or in savings and I should move that into one of the big ones. And one of the big ones, and, and, I, and I looked at there was this list of all the safest banks in the country. And number one, what do you think number one was? I have no idea. It was Chase. Yeah. It was Chase. That's... That's where we have our, our business accounts, and Jamie Dimon has been running Chase for, my gosh, 15, 20 years. That guy's wow. uh, been doing it a long time, and so Chase is the least affected uh, they, in terms of these bonds and other things, and high interest rates have affected and impacted them less than any of the other banks. They have by far the most capital and deposits in the entire country, so... Uh, at this point, they're up there number one, and then you've got uh, City that's up there. You've got Bank of America that's up there. Wells Fargo does have some losses, but they're still looked at as as a pretty uh, a pretty safe bank. So those are kind of the safest ones in terms of you know your your odds of having issues. And so what's happened is these this is hurting the the, the smaller banks, the regional banks, and. I'm not sure it's a good thing. It's kind of like when you look at like a, a Facebook or or something like that that has so much power, Twitter before Elon Musk, like they have more power than the government, honestly. And these big banks now have more power than the government. They have more power than the richest people in the world because they control so much. And so is that a good thing? It's not. But then on the other hand, it's not a good thing to have your money in Silicon Valley Bank. And, and we had friends who weren't going to be able to make payroll the next week because all their money was tied up in Silicon Valley Bank. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about organizations getting bigger than government, I don't know if you saw this, but Apple is now oh, launching yeah. a high-yield savings oh, where you can gosh, put your yeah. money in your Apple savings account and get like a 4% or 4.1 or something just remarkable. And it, it's scary to think if, wow. if Apple is yeah, now send, not send me that phone, link, but Ty. everyone's that bank. Good. Like that's... Pretty impressive. And it's funny you mentioned Chase because this article actually talks about Chase and how Chase did a survey of 600,000 business accounts that they currently have and realized the median cash balance is just 12,100. And so you don't really need to be worried about losing your money if you've got 12 grand in there. It's, it's like you mentioned, the second you surpass that quarter million, that 250,000, when uh, the FDIC isn't going to essentially be able to to give you your money back. And so, you know, obviously, if you've got more than 250000 
it may not be a bad idea to to hold money and with with different banks with different accounts like they talk about in here payroll obviously is one of the biggest business expenses and sometimes you can do payroll out of this account and yeah. hold the rest of your funds in another account so diversifying is is obviously a an important move here so in this article it says payroll cost as you were saying is one of the biggest expenses for most companies Gusto, a payroll and benefits provider for more than 300,000 small businesses, said nearly half of its clients with 50 to 99 employees had monthly payrolls above 250,000. So if you're, you know, one of those companies, 250,000 isn't a lot because just your payroll alone is $250,000 a month, not counting, you know, rent and overhead and marketing budgets and, and having excess money in there just for, you know, any bumps in the road. And so it's those types of companies that have issues, but you're right. I mean, the vast majority of small businesses don't have that type of money and certainly most consumers don't either. So for most of, for most of us, not a lot of uh, worry there, but if you do have above that 250,000, then that's where you should think about, you know, potentially opening up multiple accounts since FDIC will insure. But honestly, it does seem that it's very likely if there were another bank failure, and oddly enough, and you and I, we've talked about this, locally here in Utah, there's a bank called Zions Bank, and I think most people would say that they've done a great job of serving small business and families for a number of years, and they've been affected. Their stock was really getting hammered, and I think they did have some tech uh, investment companies that their deposits were coming down, and the, and and so forth. And so, uh, there are some really you know good regional banks that have been negatively impacted by these rates, probably just putting their money in long term U.S. Treasury bonds and mortgage debt, and and those probably have some losses, and so they're they're in a tough situation. But it looks like they're hopefully going to make it and hopefully some of these others are, but tell us about some of the other options that are available. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that they, that they talk about doing is like we just talked about is kind of diversifying. Um, sometimes you can put money because a business account is insured separately than an individual or wow. a personal account. And on a business account, Leo, if you're on the account and I'm on the account, it's still only 250,000 yeah. with a personal account. If I add my spouse to an account, now that is insured by 500,000. Oh, wow. Because they count it as two separate individuals. So, I mean that's that's one of the options. This other one, I honestly, I this was new to me. Have you ever heard of Interfi? I have not. No. So what it talks about is banks can mitigate, excuse me, mitigate risk through the Interfi network system. It's a system that can split a customer's large deposits into chunks that are less than the two hundred fifty thousand cap. Ah. It then sends sends those chunks to other banks in the system essentially giving customers multiple FDIC-insured accounts. So it's kind of like a system that diversifies it for you, but you still get to interact with just your one bank, which is kind of interesting. That's something that you should definitely look into if you're the type of business owner that has more than that quarter million at any given time, um, which was a kind of a unique unique uh, opportunity there. And then again, should I should I be concerned? Should I be worried? That it. It's something that just comes down to how much money you're holding. I, I Overall, no. I don't think that the vast majority of the banks are going to shut down and you're going to have any problems. But if you do have over 250000 I would absolutely, just like you prepare for any sort of potential crisis, right? We keep food storage because of a potential massive earthquake in Utah. It may never oh, happen, yeah. Oh, yeah. but mitigating your risk is a, a very, very important thing to do. No question. And if you are in Utah or one of those areas where there's earthquakes, you should have earthquake insurance. Absolutely. All right, guys, that's our money section here. Let's jump into the sports section, and there's a lot going on in sports right now. And so one of the things in the NFL that's been impactful is the number of injuries that seem to be on the rise, especially knees and ankles. You think of Cooper Cup, some of these guys here who really talk about the importance of if you play on grass, it's safer for your joints versus the turf that just, you know, bad things seem to happen. I'm curious, though. I'm not sure why that is. So why is that? What is this article saying, and, and what should you be aware? And, and this is beyond just the NFL, by the way. All you got kids out there, and more and more of these fields, our high school field is turf. A lot of the soccer fields that my son plays on with his soccer tournaments, those are on turf. There is a trend towards turf because, hey, it's less maintenance. You don't have to mow and cut it and uh, worry about weeds, and you don't have to water it. So there are some benefits there for the uh, the maintenance crew, but there's a lot of downside, it sure seems, with injuries. 
Yeah, it, it's kind of interesting too. It seems like it'd be one of these topics where it'd be so easy to get the data and just say, hey, look, Brigham Young University plays on a grass field and University of Utah plays on a turf field. You know, there, there's That's so true. much data out there. Let's just see how many injuries are occurring. But what they're not taking into account, um, the NFLPA keeps coming and the, the NFL comes back and says, no, these assertions are incorrect because you're not taking into account the heat, the humidity, the type of turf, the amount of beads. Mm. The, there's so many things that come into play. And obviously, you know, these are billionaires that own these teams. It doesn't seem like it would be that big of a deal to go put in grass. But then you've got the environmental people saying, oh, well, then it's all the water, the upkeep. Oh, uh-huh, right. So it, right. There's, there's a lot of things to consider here. I mean, for me, I, I just don't get why they can't just look at a very basic, here's the data, here's the numbers, the Obviously, the knees are part of it. Then you look at Tua Tungavailoa and his head injuries and the give that grass provides compared to turf, his head banging onto that turf. Is he getting concussions if his head's banging into grass, right? There's mm-hmm. there's a lot of elements to look at. I mean, me personally, I hated turf. I, I did not like playing on turf. I didn't feel like the cuts were right. I hated those burns, and then the burns would always, because you're playing in a game, get some level of infection. And, oh, yeah. Oh, getting in a a bath or a shower after a just burn burn. brutal. So I, I don't blame these guys. I mean, if I'm playing for an NFL team that has billionaire owners and they're not willing to put a grass field out there, I I'd be pretty upset as well. No, you think back when you're a kid, like just running on grass, it's just so much, it is so much nicer. It's just, it has give it's natural. There's more cushion to it when you fall. And, uh, as good as the uh, maintenances on those little, uh, black, uh, uh, rubber pellets that they've got in those turf, it just it's not the same, and it does tear, and you're getting driven to the ground, and and certainly we've seen a lot more concussions as there has been more turf. Yeah, so exactly. I mean that that was one rate. I and again, what are they talking about when they say? Uh, I'll just read this to you: the rate of non-contact lower extremity injuries on artif- artificial turf rose to a rate of 0.048 per 100. The corresponding rate of grass was 0.035. Is that like? Lower extremity injuries per 100 games, 100 run attempts. Like I'm, I'm kind of curious what that number is. But ultimately, these massive organizations are breaking it down and saying that that's not significant enough to go out and change an entire field, to change an entire stadium. Um, I know part of the problem, too, is with grass. When you're trying to do other events, you're trying to bring in Taylor oh, Swift right. and this and that. Yeah, it obviously least, yeah. can make it a little bit trickier. you got to yeah. keep people off the grass. So I... It's a good it, point. It's, it's kind you of have an turf, you can have more events there. And so if you're the owner of the stadium, uh, you can do a lot more and there's a lot less headache. Uh, whereas if it's grass, you're always having to replace it, you know, halfway through the season, especially in between the, the hash marks there, you've, you've got more uh, grass and, and turf that you might have to replace. And that leads yeah. to issues too. So, But, I, I mean, the other side of this, Leo, I, I think the NFL is the best professional organization out there. And – I think a big reason why is Roger Goodell hasn't given the players all the power. And there's a reason, right? These are professional athletes. They're all not MBAs. They don't always know what's best for the economics and whatnot. And I feel like that's where the NBA has really struggled. Is it Adam? What's his name? I'm drawing Adam Silver. Adam Silver. Yeah. Yeah, He's just, he just bows down to whatever it is the NBA players want. And no wonder the NFL draft had more viewers than an NBA Finals game last year. Like when the oh offseason draft is getting more attention than your version of the Super Bowl, you've got a problem. Dude, have you been watching the NBA playoffs? No. I haven't watched one. <laughs> I don't even know. I haven't watched anything. Like, oh, wow, well, it looks like the Lakers got in because the last <laughs> time I checked, they were not going to the playoffs. And then Jazz were and the Jazz didn't make the playoffs, and then they did, and Dallas was, and then they didn't. And then, yeah, I have no idea what's going on. Yeah, I, I watched one play-in game, and honestly, I I was watching the Oklahoma I didn't even City get. Thunder. I didn't even know the play-in game thing was a thing. So there's like more than eight teams now, and so you play in to become the eighth seed? Is that what it is? Yeah, so I, I think the way it works is like the nine and ten seeds are double elimination. Okay. The 11 and 12 are if they lose their game against each other, they're done. If they win, they get to then continue and play on against the – eight or the nine seed to try and make it. I, I don't know. It, gotcha. it sounds like it's kind of a, a cool sounds idea. Sounds like a good idea. Yeah, it would be exciting. Yeah. No, it kind of had that March Madness vibe, and I and I fairly you know, somewhat enjoyed that game. And then I tried to get into the Lakers game 
two nights ago, and I honestly changed it and started watching like American Idol or something. It was more entertaining than the NBA to me. <laughs> Dude, American Idol's actually it's been pretty good. Yeah. Jill yeah. started watching it. We started watching like way back when, when it was back on Fox, and then she started watching it again like a couple of years ago. And yeah, I got to say, these judges are are really dialed into these kids, and they they connect with them, and they're fair with them. Like it's and the stories are even better and better. You see the kid from Hawaii, yeah, Im Tungi. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I like that. He's really good. He's Awesome. I, I like his version of that monster song better than So James do Blunt, I. So. Oh, 100%. It yeah, was, uh, no, he's he's remarkable. Jillian, he, you, you watching that, Jillian? Oh, okay. It's no, way better it's than the voice. Her. Just kidding. No, um, no it's good it's, for you, Jillian. TV's a waste of time. You should avoid that. But at the end of the day, when you're like brain damaged and lying in bed, like we watch it for like an hour. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Oh. Hey, I, I'm two weeks free of social media now. Oh, how's your social you media fast going? I, I got rid of Instagram. I got rid of Facebook. Um, I do still have the My Figures Instagram on my phone to yeah. do things periodically for business. But it's uh, I was listening to this book on, it was just a psychology book, and it's talking about how you know mental fatigue is so much higher. People are always tired. Oh, but when yeah. you break it down and realize that, the second I get home, I've got the TV on, and not only is the TV on, but I'm holding my my phone right here, scrolling while I'm watching TV, and your brain can only exert. Yeah, so we we have energy. so much ADD. You're like, oh, I'm bored of this, and now my my phone's scrolling. And exactly. Yeah. So I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I, I I'm not gonna say I've had some crazy life changing experience where I have all this energy now. No, I I don't really feel any different from an energy standpoint. What I have noticed though is I am spending a lot more time with my son. I'm oh, I'm seeing good. him way more when he's standing in front of me with a toy, whereas before I'm just sitting here scrolling. I'm mm, noticing those little things, and so I do feel a, a lot better as a father. I do feel like I'm I'm spending more quality time with Marie, and so in that sense, yes, That's I'm good. I'm glad that I got rid of it. And I'm going to continue at least through the end of the year. It's one of my goals. That's good. Yeah, for me with social media, like I've always pretty much looked at it only as. How can I use it for business? How can I use it for business? Jill was super excited when Facebook came out, like however many years, 12, 13 years ago, for the family aspect and connecting with family and sharing pictures. Because before that time, people were using like Blogspot and you were, you had like a family blog and you put your pictures there and then people would go to your family blog and then Facebook really took that over. But but even even then, I mean, it's so easy to find yourself just mindlessly going down a rabbit hole and scrolling and scrolling. And so, so yeah, at some point I, I just... Pretty much, I, I very rarely look at it on my phone. I've got the apps on my phone, but really the only the only social media app I really do is, is YouTube, and it's almost always for a video about business or some aspect of business or a podcast about business. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I was one of those that kind of kept that excuse of, oh, I, I only have social media so I can keep up with my family and friends and keep them updated on what I'm doing in my life. Yeah. And, when I really thought about that and broke that down, I was like, how disingenuous is that? Like in all reality, like if I really want my mom to know about my life, I should give her a call and have a conversation with her. I should send her a picture of my sons that was meant just for her. Right. I I have a very close family friend, my godmother in, in California. And I've always used the excuse of, Oh, I'd send her a Facebook post on her birthday and I post a picture of Jack. So she knows what we're up to, but just last week, I realized, you know what, I'm not seeing her post. I'm off social media. This is weird. I sent her a video of our new house and Jack playing with Thomas on a toy that she sent us. And we had this long conversation because it was much more personal. So I think your relationships that actually matter will be a lot stronger if you get off social media. And those that you don't really give a shit about will continue to not really matter to you anyway. So I, I think if you're struggling with relationships, you feel like you don't have strong friends or strong relationships, I think getting off social media will probably help. You know what's interesting? I feel like the one app out there, and I'm pretty sure my kid, this is how the younger generation are operating now, the one social media app out there that is really, that is good and, and almost exclusively used with, with uh, family, I, I guess maybe if you're a teenager, this might be a little bit uh, different, but even, even our kids, like his Snapchat, like we're in the Grand Canyon, we're doing this, we're doing that, we're at Disney World, we're wherever. Like we're going to share stuff on Snapchat. We have like a little family group and we share little snaps in there with uh, the family group or you have really good friends and 
And I know it's a little bit uh, different, but but it's, it, it is even like friends. Like if you're, you know, in your in your twenty. 20, 22, 23, if you're in your teenage years, like everybody is Snapchat, it seems like, because it is much more intimate and yeah. connected and it disappears after a little bit. So it seems like that's the actual app nowadays that if you really were trying to share with family, but you're right, nothing beats a one-on-one phone call. Uh, geez, the, we can do video calls now. Like that was mind-blowing to think that you could <laughs> yeah. do that 20, 25 years ago, even a decade ago. They were asking, oh, do you think we'll ever be able to do that? And and now we just take it for granted. And my son's going to be in Brazil in a, in a few weeks, and I'll be able to video chat with him. Just amazing, that technology. But, yeah, we don't use it the way it should be used for family. Yeah, I, I mean, I did keep Snapchat. It's funny that you say that because, you know, a lot of people, Jill, when you said Snapchat, Jillian, like, oh, give me a break because – in all reality, in Snapchat, well, we're old. I'm old, you know. I'm a, Leo I'm and I. Did you know we Snapchat back and forth when we're doing something cool? I'll send them a Snapchat. But I don't know if you knew this though. You can go down these same rabbit hole. Snapchat has all these crazy stories. I, I did. And I just never go. That. But it, exactly, I've committed to. And not. they're good. They are. Like you'll be down a rabbit hole for days. Oh shit! Look at yeah. that. That's fascinating. That oddly satisfying thing where what? they like cut soap. It's like, why am I watching this? <laughs> Give me a break. I think actually lately, at least like not the younger ones or like the older generation, but my generation, we're going more for Instagram stories. Ah, Jillian's telling us the young generation (laughs) is right now transitioning to stories on Instagram. Okay. That that is true because I did a post the other, like last month or something, my last post before I got rid of it and. My friends are like, why are you posting? Just put it on your story. I'm like, well, I don't really know how. I'm, I'm out of the game on this. But I did do it with our My Figures one, so I learned from a business standpoint. But, yeah, Snapchat, I think it's awesome, too, because if you're just using it to communicate with your friends, it, it's not insensitive. I think you can have awesome back and forth with Snapchat, and then it brings up memories. That's what I love about it. It's like two years ago on this date, this is a Snapchat that you sent out, and it kind of is, is a little journal. So I, I did keep that one for that purpose. Actually, and that's one thing that I like about uh, Facebook. And honestly, the only time I ever use Facebook, and I log into it every day, is to check our Facebook group. We've got a few thousand people in our funding partner community that are in that Facebook group. And so I'll go in there, and I have to make sure there's no fires, and no one's like, oh, why didn't so-and-so call me back? Or what's going on with this deal? I'm like, just you know, just call Jillian. She's right there. She'll help you. But um, it will do the same thing of memories because Jill is really good at posting stuff for the family on her Facebook account. And so every day I'll log in and there's a new memory and it'll go back eight, 10. You'll start crapping your pants here because Jack is two years old. Is he two? Just about. He's going to be two in July. So so Jack's going to be two right in July, but all of a sudden five years will go by and he'll be seven and then you'll get a memory uh, picture. Oh, this is Jack, th- you know, when he was three, when he was four. And you're like, hey, unbelievable how much he's changed. Or you were at that event or that family thing. Or maybe it was a football game or whatever it was. But uh, so I now take those and I, I, I screenshot those and I put them in a Google Drive folder. And I'm just racking up these. And then I'll share them like with all of our family in a text. Yeah. Which I, I actually really like Jill's. I, I enjoyed, I don't see them anymore. Like I said, I'm off of it. But I enjoyed Jill's posts because they were real. She talked about she is legit awesome, struggles yeah. and yeah. how things weren't just all peaches and roses and, and and fairy tales. Because that's one thing that I I hated when I started f- comparing my family to other families. But in all reality, certain families are posting this. But I know that they're actually really going through a very, very hard time. Yeah. And case in point, JoJo, our, one of our partners comes in rolls up in this awesome, awesome Corvette, like the, the wide body kit, everything you could do to it. Oh, I love that And he's Corvette. like, dude, you know what's funny is I rent this out. They, they have to pay me for a full day, but it's some influencer who doesn't even turn the car on, doesn't even know how to drive it, just gets in the car, has a bunch of pictures taken, and then posts them online saying, oh, I bought this new car with this commission and, and this and that. And it's like, it's just so fake. And I'm comparing oh my myself to things that aren't even real. And it's just... It's unnecessary. I, I, I didn't mean to. I know this wasn't even on our, our schedule, so I hate to go off on this tangent. But I just wanted to experience, you know, other people know about this freeing experience that I had. And, again, it, it comes down to 
it wasn't fatigue. It wasn't this. It wasn't that. It's it's relationships. That's where I've seen the biggest difference by getting off of social media. Dude, that that's what's crazy though. Like people want to live this fake, inauthentic life, and so you see this, right? You see this where you know this guy's whole business model is I've got these sexy cars, and sometimes celebrities come, but more often than not, it's people who are trying to be influencers, and they're like, oh, this is my sweet sweet ride, guys, and and like if you've really one of the coolest things ever in life, I think, is to get to a point where I don't give a shit what anybody thinks. I don't have to prove myself to anybody because my goals and what I want to do are bigger than whatever their expectations are. So I don't need to post you know, pictures of this, that, and the other. If it can help a business, if it can, you know, you know we got that two comma club X award that's over there. We need to get a picture of that just because it's a it means a lot to a lot of people, and there's a lot of people that helped us uh, to get that, and we've got a great team. And so, but but people literally just want to, you know, say they've achieved something when they haven't, and it's okay to be patient. It's okay to realize it's part of it. It's a journey. It's a struggle that you're going to get there, and uh, and and just go through that, and then understand that you don't have to, you know, do this fake stuff. You can just be yourself, be authentic, and that's what when people have actually achieved real success. They don't have to tell you about it. And you'll always find someone who's actually successful because they'll be asking you the questions. And when you're young and dumb, and Alex Ramosi was talking about this the other day, he would just sit and talk about himself. And I remember doing that in my 20s, just sitting there talking about, shut up and ask somebody who's like way more successful than you. And what can we learn from them? And when you start to approach life that direction, it's a much better way to live, I think. Yeah, it, it is kind of interesting how you you see these accounts of people that have achieved such such high levels of success whether it's you know professional athletes or Elon Musk whoever it is all of a sudden once they've achieved that high level of success they have no problem posting about their shitty living circumstances or their shitty car or this or that all of a sudden they're totally fine to talk about it but when people are actually living it they're so scared and self-conscious of it it's like it, it just doesn't make any sense but um I'm, I'm glad to be freed of it regardless so you're free Ty I'm free you're free all right, guys. Well, our, our next uh, story was about Oakland A's. They're moving to Vegas. What does that mean for Salt Lake? Yeah, apparently it, it means quite a bit, and it was a very important. I'm, I'm not super caught up to speed in the, the MLB, but it sounds like uh, as far as getting a couple of expansion teams, the A's had to relocate and the Tampa Bay uh, Rays. I think it was Tampa Bay. I, I know this article talks about it, but there's two teams that needed to relocate um, and it sounds like that this this is very likely. Like it really probably will happen. Utah will get a major league baseball wow. team. Um, the Millers, who own the Utah Jazz, obviously, it sounds like they're probably teaming up with with Qualtrics and and that ownership group. They've already purchased land. Like it's it's going to happen. I I just pray. Did we're not they? They, the they already bought the, the I, land. I think they've already parceled wow. the, the land. I don't know what. And it's massive. Is. Like it's hundreds of acres. Like it's a big. Big spot over there by the airport. It's crazy how much these stadiums cost now. So this uh, Oakland A Stadium that's now going to be the Las Vegas, whatever their um, you know mascot ends up being, projected to be one point five billion dollar ballpark. Because if it's in Vegas, I mean it's going to be one hundred twenty degrees during the summer nights. So you can't uh, you can't not have a dome with that type of stadium. You've got to have great air conditioner. It's got to be in a dome to really operate uh, at full capacity. And so, but it is amazing how expensive, because remember when um, Jerry Jones, was it 15 years ago? How long has Cowboy Stadium, um, you know, been built? However long that's been, it was a billion dollar stadium. And that was like mind blowing at the time. Like, oh my gosh, he's crazy. He's going to go bankrupt. And no, he didn't. He just like started a new trend. And now every stadium's over a billion dollars. Yeah. I mean, what was SoFi? I, I want to oh, say SoFi word. came in like, almost three times the amount I, of yeah maybe even more that's have you been to sofi not inside i've just we, walked around the outside. we need to go to sofi yeah. yeah we're going to sofi absolutely yeah it's gonna be fun um but that, no, it, it looks pretty yeah yeah I, I know there's a lot of stuff going around utah though like what do you want the name to be put out a big vote would you rather have mlb uh, i'll ask you leo would you rather have a professional hockey team or a professional baseball team in utah i'd rather have a professional football team but <laughs> yeah. if i'm uh you know going hockey or baseball probably baseball yeah i, I like hockey though I've, I've i love going to those you know what i like about the hockey game you go to the hockey game and nine times out of ten they get into a real 
fist fight, and they're throwing down, and the refs don't get in the way. I just kind of like that. I like hockey. I've, I've, I'm not watching the playoffs for the NBA, but I've been watching the, the playoffs for hockey. And you want to see some intense sports? Watch a third period of a, a playoff hockey game. Like it's wild. It's fun. Um, I voted. I voted for the hockey team. Dude, when was the last time you watched a baseball game? I can't do it unless it's I, live. I can't remember the last time. <laughs> I don't know how many years it's been. The last time I remember watching a baseball game was when the Red Sox were really good and they had just barely beat the Yankees when they were down 3-0. to zero. I think that was the best baseball game Like ever. the David Ortiz? Yes. Wow. Big poppy, dude. <laughs> yeah, that that literally wild. was like the last time I was watching baseball because baseball is so damn boring. Yeah, I I can enjoy it live, right? Going to a live event, it, get a get well, a. Well, I'm talking dog. about watching it. Though. Oh yeah, watching it. No, on if, TV if you're is going brilliant. and you got the hot dog and you got the kids and those and those stadiums are beautiful and they've got waterfalls and crazy awesome things around them. Some of them right in the middle of downtown cities. Those are that's a that's an experience. But yeah. if I'm sitting at home and I'm like, am I going to watch baseball or? You know, this documentary about Elon Oh, I'm going to go to the Elon Musk documentary. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny, though, is, is so baseball added the pitch count, right? You, oh, right, right, right. So yeah. you only have so long to get a pitch out because yeah. here's where it comes full circle. Everyone's been, you know, all baseball fans are just bitching about games taking way too long and this right, and that. Right, 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 right. And now you're starting to see people are, are complaining because – we spend this money to go to a game. We it's want it to, fast. to get out there and relax. <laughs> we never know how long it's going to take. And I've just blocked out X amount of time. And now we feel like we're just getting pushed out of there like cattle. And it's like, what the hell do you want? Uh, I mean, you got to, yeah. Well, and now because games are going so fast, it's mandatory. They stop selling beer and, and liquor at certain times in the games. So people don't feel like they even have time to go enjoy themselves. It's it's funny. It's it's interesting. It's a it's just a struggle. But you know what? As tough as it is for baseball, they still make the most money out of all the, all the sports. Yeah, they because they have so many games. We think about it like they're having to play from February to, you know, sometimes the end of October. So you're getting November, December, Jan. You might get like three. So it's it's a much longer season, I think, than way longer than the NBA and the NFL for sure. Yeah, yeah. But it's 365 days a year if you want to be great. So. Amen. Well, I think that that about does it for our, our time today. I know we spent a lot of time on the SVB and VCs and whatnot, but I think it was kind of important to unpack that and explain what we've been going through, what we've been dealing with. But hey, we are documenting the jury or the not the jury. Uh, one of our guys, Steve, was going to jury duty. We we're documenting the journey is what I meant to say of the uh, the struggle. And the struggle is real with venture capital. Uh, but we're learning learning a lot. And, you know, there, there's people that say, oh, we're going to get back to you, and they sound real interested. We're going to present it to the team. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But either way, we're still going to find solutions and uh, and keep building that fintech app. But, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. If you're finding some value out of it, you should introduce it to other small business owners who are looking to get their money right, who are looking to succeed, who freedom matters to them, family matters to them, um, you know, principles and values that lead to success matter. If that's you, share the show, comment, subscribe, etc. You know, and of course, you want to get your money right, go to myfigures.com. If you're looking for the best funding to grow your business, sevenfiguresfunding.com and the Seven Figures Funding team are there to serve you. So. Like I said, get off of social media, but don't get off of YouTube. Keep watching. 100%. Go figure. Thank you for joining us on the Go Figure podcast. If you learned something that will help your business or family, take 30 seconds and give us a five-star. If we added value to your day, then share the show with someone who wants to get their money right and be sure to subscribe to the Seven Figures Funding YouTube channel. If you're a business owner and a parent committed to getting your money right for your family, then check out the MyFigures.com money app with a free 30-day trial to manage your money, track your net worth, and build a profit-first business through our fintech platform. God bless, and we'll see you next time on the Go Figure Podcast.